Praise forever. Come on, somebody, to the King of Kings. How good is the Lord? How good is the Lord? Well, what a joy today to be at home and in-house. And uh, it's exciting. Please be seated here in the auditorium and at home. You can just do whatever you want to do. You can maybe even take the teaspoon out of the cereal right now and set it down there on the table. It's been a long time since we've been able to gather really in both places, your house and this house. And we're really excited about it. Also today, uh, Carol and the Rotniak family are on their way to Canberra and uh, part of the service there this morning. In Melbourne, we love you. We miss you. Craig and Melissa, oh my goodness. And as those restrictions lift, we feel with you uh, the momentum of what God is getting ready to do there. And you know, on any um, Sunday over these past several months, we've had people joining us from Africa and Asia, the United States, Europe, and of course, across Australia. So that's pretty exciting. Well, are you ready for God's word? Buddy, I am too. Reach your hand out towards me, would you please? Father, in these next few minutes, I believe I have your word to share. Help me do it. Help me wash the feet of the saints of God with the water of your word. And Lord, may we today be built up in our faith. For your glory I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, I've been reading this passage for the last several weeks. It says, the accuser of our brethren, of our brothers and sisters, has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before God day and night. Can you believe? I mean, the devil needs to get a life, right? No, he doesn't actually. But I mean, this is what he does day and night. Mostly what the devil does is diss you. He disses you, if you can believe it, day and night. He criticizes you continually. He condemns you. Constantly, And it's just the reality of the world that we live in. We do not live our, our life in a Christian bubble. No, we live our life in a battle. And there is that which is set against us. But there's more for us, thank God, than there is against us. But this is the reality. And we've been talking about, first off, how the devil wants to just dismiss you outright. Just, just flick you off. Flip you off like you're nothing. Diss you outright. And yet we understand that while he is dismissing you, God's love is distinguishing you. God's love is declaring that you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a peculiar purchased people set apart for God's own possession. And then the devil wants to dis your qualification. You know, you've done something, you've said something or whatever, and you're disqualified. You're out. It's over. The devil wants to diss your qualification as a child of God, as a Christian, and as a follower of Christ. He wants you to believe that you're disqualified and that you're done. But we found out that he has some serious misinformation about your qualification. And the truth is, we were never qualified, could never be qualified in the first place. How can you be disqualified from something you never qualified for? 
And that's what salvation is. That's what God's free gift of grace is to us. God qualifies us. My behavior is not my savior. No, my behavior is the life I live in gratitude for the grace of God. But it's not how I anchor and secure my salvation. So the devil wants to diss you. He wants to diss your unity, your harmony, and your accord. He wants us divided and not united. As a matter of fact, division is his domain, whether it be your home or our nation. The devil wants to divide us over our doctrines. The devil wants to diss us over our differences. We don't look alike or believe alike. He wants you alienated. He wants you isolated. He wants you separated because you are easy pickings, as my mama would say, when we are in those situations. He also wants to diss your appointment. He wants to disparage you. He wants to discourage you. He wants you disillusioned and disheartened. Oh, he loves this. And yet we read in Psalm 42 and verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you so disappointed, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? And here's the solution. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Hope is my help when I am dealing with this appointment. And life has disappointments. Things don't always turn out or work out the way we were thinking or or what we, we were hoping would happen. But when I put my hope in God, I can begin to see the hand of God where I didn't see it before. I can begin to believe, oh, God's in this. Oh, God's working all things together for my good. When I put my hope in God, I can begin to see the fingerprint of God on everything. In Romans 5, 5, we read that hope does not disappoint and then we read in Isaiah 49, 23, a few weeks ago, you shall know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Yeah. Now today, I want to talk to you about how the devil wants to diss your satisfaction. Yeah. He wants you dissatisfied with your wife and your life. He will diss your satisfaction with your home, your work, your kids, your church, your ministry, your marriage, your singleness, or whatever your lot is in life. If the devil can get you dissatisfied then he knows it won't be long until he, he gets you. You will become restless. Yeah. 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 Restless. And when you are restless, it's not long until you're reckless. Yeah. Yeah. We see this in the life of King David. Now you think, how could David be dissatisfied when David had absolutely everything, David had fame, he had fortune, he had affluence, 
And yet, one afternoon, he rises from a nap while his armies are out at war, and he sees a beautiful woman bathing on a rooftop. David has everything, but he doesn't have her. Oh, how the devil wants to diss your satisfaction. Oh, how he wants you restless and reckless. Now, I want to show you his twofold strategy, and it works really well, by the way. His twofold strategy to diss your satisfaction. This is what he does. This is how he does it. First, he wants you to compare. Compare. He wants you to compare. He wants you to compare what you have with what they have. He wants you to compare what you don't have with what they do have. Compare. Comparison causes covetousness. Comparison kills contentment. Comparison causes conflict. And the devil will use it to diss your satisfaction. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. David had the world at his feet and still found himself dissatisfied and restless and eventually reckless. I was thinking about Mick Jagger. Many of you who are really young are saying, Mick Jagger, the Rolling Stones, what was that? Anyway, in my day, it was something. But Mick Jagger probably, to this day, has more money than he could possibly spend, more women than he could possibly imagine, and more fame than he would have ever envisioned. And yet his first number one hit in the United States of America in 1965 was a song called I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Now the boys are messing with me back there. I don't know if you heard that at home, but that. Okay, somebody, thank you. But can you imagine? The man with women fainting in the aisles at his concerts writes a song about how dissatisfied his life is. Once David saw Bathsheba and began to compare Uriah's wife with his wives, he took the next step in the devil's twofold strategy from comparing to compromise. Yeah. And this is when dissatisfaction 
goes from restless to reckless. And this is what the devil is all about. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And that's exactly what the recklessness that comes into our life from restlessness, which comes into our life from being dissatisfied, it's exactly where it ends. When David looked at Bathsheba, he was thinking of the moment but the devil was thinking of his generation. Leonard Cohen wrote about David in his haunting song, Hallelujah. He wrote these words. Your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof and her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you. She tied you to a kitchen chair. She broke your throne. She cut your hair and from your lips she drew the hallelujah. Yes, she did, but it was David who was not at war with his soldiers. It was David who was in this place of being dissatisfied and discontent. It was David that allowed this disappointment, this, all of this to come into his life, this dissatisfaction, and that made him reckless, and that made him do something so severe and unthinkable in murdering that woman's husband. A moment of pleasure for a lifetime of regret. So how do I live satisfied? So how do I guard my heart from this really, really strong strategy of the devil? How do I keep the devil from dissing my satisfaction? So I wanna show you from the Bible, from the Bible, from God's word, I want to show you what to do. I want to show you from God's word three strategies for living a safe and a satisfied life. Number one, count your blessings. Don't compare your life. Count your blessings. Count them. Count them. Account for them. Count your blessings. In Psalm chapter 103 and verse 2, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. Blessings. It's like a forest that sometimes we don't even see the trees because of the forest. We have to stop in the forest of the life God has given us and start seeing the trees and counting, counting, and accounting for every blessing that is in my life. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual 
blessing in the heavenly realms. What, what number is that? How big is that? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. Count them. Count them and account for them. I do not measure my life with others. I magnify my life with Christ. In Psalm chapter 23 and verse 5, we, we know the passage of Scripture where David says, you anoint my head with oil, you know, and, and my cup runs over. But I love it in the New Living Translation. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. This is the part. Look at this. My cup overflows with blessings. That's the truth. Tell yourself the truth. Count them. Count them. Start counting the blessings. Calculate the daily benefit that he loads upon you. We read in Psalm chapter 68 and verse 19, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. The great wealth of life is not having what I want. It's wanting what I have. And Paul explained this to young Timothy, the young pastor of the Ephesian church. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul said this, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. The New Living Translation says it like this, True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean? What's he saying? Here's what he's saying. To live sanctified and satisfied, godliness with contentment. To live sanctified, which is set apart for God, to live sanctified and satisfied is the greatest wealth you can have. I'm giving you three strategies from the Bible for living a sanctified and a satisfied life because the devil will diss your satisfaction. And number one is start counting your blessings and stop comparing your life. Number two, comprehend. Comprehend. Know in the deepest part of your ability to know, comprehend the truth that there is nothing in this world that can satisfy. That will set you free. Comprehend this truth. There is nothing in this world that can satisfy. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, and verse 22, now, he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. What is that? What, what, what is the deceitfulness of riches? What does that mean? The deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches is the promise of satisfaction that riches can satisfy. 
It's a lie. It's fake news. It's false advertising. As a matter of fact, all advertising is meant to diss your satisfaction. Money, wealth, fortune, fame, pleasure, someone else's wife, nothing in this world can satisfy your soul. We read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 from the New Living Translation. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and pride in our possessions, a craving for every physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and then pride in our possessions. But then we read this, but these are not from the Father. These are from this world. And this world is fading away. But it's not only fading away, listen, with everything people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Think about it. The devil wants to diss your satisfaction by getting you to desire or crave that which can never satisfy. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant strategy. Think about it. And one of his greatest scams, one of the greatest scams is pornography. He wants you to crave what makes you a slave. He wants you to desire what you cannot acquire. It's brilliant. If you're the devil, that's brilliant. Yeah. Pornography is like a fungicide that can never be satisfied. You know, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 14 actually speaks of this very, very issue. It speaks of those who commit adultery with their eyes and whose desire is never satisfied. One translation says, whose eyes are never satiated. The devil will use pornography to diss your satisfaction and make you restless and reckless. And this is just one of his schemes. This is just one of his many schemes. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we see that King Solomon had many times the wealth the women, the power, the prestige, the fame, and the fortune of King David. I mean, if King David was the king of kings, so to speak, well, when Solomon came around, it was unbelievable. He had a thousand wives. 300 of them were concubines. They were there just in case the 700 other women couldn't satisfy him. He had wealth. The, I went to a website this week that said the modern day equivalent of King Solomon's personal wealth in U.S. dollars, two trillion U.S. dollars. Solomon pursued every pleasure imaginable. He built buildings beyond belief. He made silver as common in his kingdom as bitumen 
and concrete. He was smart, suave, stylish, and sexy as. He denied himself nothing. And yet, at the conclusion of his life, he writes these words from Ecclesiastes 12.8. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And that Hebrew word also means empty, empty. It's all empty. It also means useless, useless. It's all useless. It also means meaningless, meaningless. And then we read these words. Some of the last words we have recorded in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 13. Solomon says, after all this, after all what? Everything I just named. A life like that. A life like that. He says, after all this, there was only one thing to say. Have reverence for God and obey his commands because this is all that we were created for. I am giving you three strategies from the Bible for living a safe and a satisfied life. I'm giving you three strategies because we're hearing it all the time. Another one bites the dust. Another one falls. Another one fails. Another one drops out. Another one loses everything because he was dissatisfied. And then he was restless. And then he was reckless. I'm giving you three strategies from the Bible on how to live a sanctified and a satisfied life. Number one, count your blessings. Don't compare your life. Number two, comprehend the truth that there is nothing in this world that can truly satisfy. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself, if, if, he said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And then number three, and I'll close. Count, count, number one, count, count and account. Count your blessings. Number two, comprehend, comprehend this truth. Do not have an expectation that there is anything on this planet that can satisfy your soul. And number three, constantly Drink deep droughts of God. In Psalm 63 and verse 1, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. And then he describes the whole world in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. There is no water in this dry and thirsty land. And so my soul thirsts for you. And then verses five and six say this My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed 
and meditate upon you in the night watches. It's you. It's you. In Psalm 42 and verse 1, a white-tailed deer drinks from the creek. I want to drink God deep droughts of God. Deeply drinking from God in fellowship, in friendship, in prayer, in praise, in privacy and intimacy and secrecy. That is what satisfies your soul. Jesus said in John chapter 7 and verse 38, and he said this on the steps of the temple with hundreds of cisterns dug cut in rocks. All of them had water in them. All of these cisterns were there for the cleansing, the ceremonial cleansing for the high days of the, uh, of the festivals. And Jesus is standing and the glisten, glistening sun would be on all of these cisterns with water in them. And here's what Jesus says in that context. Jesus says, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. And there is nothing else on earth like it. And then in John 4, 14, he said to this desperate woman at the well, whose whole life was a disappointment, whose whole life was filled with nothing but dissatisfaction. She'd been married so many times. She'd had so many men. She had, and Jesus says to her, and she is typical of us, because all of us can have our satisfaction dissed. He says to her, If anyone drinks the living water that I give him, they will never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. And then he says this, for when you drink the water I give you, it becomes, you have to drink it. And when you drink this water that he gives us, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. (laughs) The devil wants to diss your satisfaction through comparison and then through compromise. His goal is a restless soul because a restless soul eventually becomes a reckless soul. But here's the answer to a sanctified and satisfied life. Here's the answer to living safe and satisfied. Count your blessings. Don't compare your life. Count your blessings. Comprehend there is nothing on this earth that can satisfy and constantly drink deep 